Welcome to an enlightening podcast from IslamPodcasts.com. We encourage our listeners to please comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please remind your family and friends to also visit IslamPodcasts.com for engaging discussions on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran, Tafsir, Seerah, and much more. Setting aside its pagan origins, the Christmas period provides an opportunity for Muslims to draw parallels and lessons from Isa similar to what we do with regards to Hajj and the story of Ibrahim and Muharram with Musa regarding the days of Ashura. So before focusing on the subject of the return of Isa and the return of Islam, I want to cover two brief points. Firstly, Similar to the well-known ahadith on fasting on the days of Ashura due to Muslims having more right over Musa than the Jews, we likewise have more right over Isa than the Christians. Rasulullah said, I am the nearest of all people to the son of Mary and all the prophets are paternal brothers and there has been no prophet between me and him. As Muslims we protect and preserve the status and honor of Isa as a prophet and reject all the false claims laid against him as we do for Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. This is a matter of Iman for Muslims and not a matter that we take lightly. The second point is that we should have awareness and not be gullible to those who have status in our deen, like the betrayal of Isa by Judas and later those amongst Christian scholars and priests who changed the rulings of what Isa brought. We have the beautiful incident at the time of Rasulullah when Adi ibn Hatim, who was a chief of a Christian tribe, that when Rasulullah recited the following verse, Ma Bismillahir Rahmanir Rahim, In translation, the meaning, they took their rabbis and their monks to be the lords besides Allah. Adi ibn Hatim said, they did not worship them. Rasulullah replied, yes they did. Didn't they make haram what Allah made halal and make halal what Allah made haram and you followed them? Look at the shameless attempts to change the rulings of Islam today, pushing our ummah towards sin and disobedience on the excuse of hardship, necessity, tolerance and peace. Making halal what Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala clearly made haram, like riba for mortgages, like the borders that divide the Muslims, like the normalization with the illegal Zionist entity and legitimizing the illegitimate rulers that rule over the Muslim lands. Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam said, the most hated qaris, these are the reciters of the Quran, are those who visit the rulers. The most hated of qaris to Allah are those who visit the rulers. We should not be fooled by the status, charisma, knowledge or appearance of such individuals, scholars or groups or concede nor capitulate under the pressure of society as we see today where Christianity has shifted its position on matters such as abortion, priesthood, LGBT. And Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala reminds us بَعْدْ بِسْمِ اللَّهِ الرَّحْمَنِ الرَّحِيمِ فَلَا تَكْشَوَ النَّاسَ وَكْشَوْنِ 
And in translation of the meaning, then fear not people, but fear me. And do not accept a cheap price for our signs. Now regarding the focus of this discussion about the return of Isa Imam Mahdi and the second coming of Islam, there is an important philosophy to put as a foundation for this discussion, which is as follows. Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala obliges us to worship Him. We have the clear eye in the Quran where Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, وَمَا خُلَقُ جِنَّ وَالْإِنسَ إِلَّا لِيَعْبُدُونَ That Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has not created jinn or man except to worship Him subhanahu wa ta'ala. This worship is comprehensive and connected to very important pillars which are obedience and accountability. As Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala tells us, فَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ خَيْرٍ يَرَهُ وَمَنْ يَعْمَلْ مِثْقَالَ ذَرَّةٍ شَرٍ يَرَهُ That for every atom's weight of good and bad that we undertake, we shall see it on Yom Qiyamah. Now based upon this, and this connection between worship and these pillars of obedience and accountability, we have the following philosophy. Firstly, we believe in fate, but we are not fatalist. Secondly, we firmly believe in others' decree, while recognizing that we are accountable for all that we do and all that we do not do. And thirdly, we believe in all that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has promised, but we equally recognize our obligation to fulfill the responsibilities that Islam has placed upon us. This is a philosophy and what should be evident is that this philosophy contradicts inaction and fatalism. We don't sit and wait. The best exponent of this philosophy was Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam himself. He understood better than anyone that the deen would be completed and Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala would deliver on his promise. But Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wasallam worked to establish, implement and protect the deen. He strategized, led armies, negotiated treaties, took advice from companions and family and all of this was in full awareness and trust in Allah's promise. And after this, the next best exponents of this philosophy were the Sahaba. They understood the prophecies and the promises of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Yet these were not excuses for them to be inactive, to be fatalist or to be neglectful in their responsibilities. More than this, we had the ten Sahaba, the Ashra Mubashara, who were informed in their lifetime they were guaranteed Jannah. What was their response? Inaction, relaxation, neglect, on the contrary. Just look to the lives of Abu Bakr Siddiq and Umar ibn al-Khattab and how they strived in the dunya being obedient to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and were afraid to meet Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala if they had neglected any of their responsibilities. And likewise, we ourselves are exponents of this philosophy. We totally understand the relationship between Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala's promise and our responsibility. For example, we firmly believe that rizq, our wealth, is promised and predetermined and will come to us. Whether or not we work, 
But we study, take exams, seek higher qualifications, seek better jobs. None of us say, just relax and sit at home and do nothing because rizq has already been decreed. Rather, we focus on doing what we can do to get and secure our rizq in the best and proper manner that we can. And we teach and advise our children to do exactly the same thing. This is the philosophy that I want to build as a foundation for this conversation. And this is the mindset to approach the subject of the return of Isa alayhi salam, Mahdi, and the inevitable return of Islam. Now, there are a number of hadith covering the subject, of which I will quote three. Firstly, Rasulullah sallallahu he said, By him in whose hand my soul is, the son of Mary will shortly descend amongst you as a just ruler and will break the cross and kill the pig and abolish the jizya. Then there will be abundance of money and nobody will accept charitable gifts. The second hadith, the Prophet said, after the death of a ruler, there will be some dispute between the people. At that time, a citizen of Medina will flee and go to Mecca. While in Mecca, certain people will approach him between Hajar al-Aswad and Maqam Ibrahim and forcibly pledge their allegiance to him. And the third hadith is the Prophet said, a group of my ummah will fight for the truth until near the day of judgment when Jesus, the son of Mary, will descend and the leader of them will ask him to lead the prayer but Jesus declined saying, No, verily among you Allah has made leaders for others and he has bestowed his bounty upon them. These three narrations and other narrations about the subject indicate two very clear things. Firstly, they indicate the return of Isa and the emergence of Imam Mahdi during the Islamic, during the presence of the Islamic system. Secondly, these narrations provide further confidence for the Muslims about the impending return of the Islamic system. But more important is what these narrations do not indicate. They do not indicate that we wait for these prophecies to materialize and neither shoulder the responsibility and accountability that we have today to re-establish the deen of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. These narrations do not absolve us of this obligation whatsoever. Similarly, it did not absolve the Sahaba and all the generations that followed from the responsibility to carry Islam to the world in knowledge of the hadith, إِنَّ اللَّهَ زَوَالِي الْأَرْضِ that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala has shown me the earth. And I've seen all of this east and all of this west. And my ummah have, will have authority over all which I have seen. Rather, the Sahaba and the generation which came after worked to expand the Islamic authority because it was and is an obligation to do so. And in the process, fulfilled this prophecy narrated in the hadith. In the same way, Muhammad al-Fatih successfully sought to fulfill the prophecy of liberating Constantinople, which Ayub al-Ansari was unable to do. So, Islam has commanded us to pray, to fast, to give zakah, which we have established, but equally commanded us to re-establish the deen, have a bay'ah, pledge, 
to the Khalifa and be unified under one single leadership. Therefore, in line with the philosophy that I mentioned earlier, we believe in the prophecies absolutely about the return of Isa but we are not inactive, neither are we fatalistic. Our mentality should be similar to the Sahaba and the previous generations in that we work to realize these prophecies. And as a final point, to put all of this in context, there is the well-known long narration which includes a prophecy about the return of the Khilafah which goes as follows. There will be prophethood for as long as Allah wills it to be, then he will remove it when he wills. Then there will be Khilafah upon the prophetic method and it will be for as long as Allah wills, then he will remove it when he wills. Then there will be biting kingship for as long as Allah wills, then he will remove it when he wills. Then there will be oppressive kingship for as long as Allah wills, then he will remove it when he wills. And then there will be Khilafah upon the prophetic method, after which the Prophet remains silent. In this hadith, in this prophecy, there is the clear expression of the action that we need to perform to re-establish the deen, which is which is to establish the khilafa upon minhaj nabuwa upon the method of the Prophet sallallahu alayhi wasallam. This is where our focus and effort needs to be and insha'Allah the glad tidings will come soon. May Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala accept from us our good deeds and forgive us for any shortcomings. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you for listening to this podcast. Podcasts on current events, Islamic guidance, Quran tafsir, and sirah are available at islampodcasts.com as well as on iTunes. Rate, review, and comment and let us know how we can grow in our knowledge to better serve our community. Please subscribe, share, and tell a friend about islampodcasts.com.